This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. Today on the podcast, we're bringing you a story about speaking your truth. As cliche as that phrase can sound, sometimes doing that can be earth-shatteringly hard. Hard first to know your truth, let alone to speak it to the world. But, to use another cliche, it's hard because it's worth it. This is a story about how difficult and how rewarding it can be to be honest, both in conversations with yourself and with those you love. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in June of 2017, Second Story presents Cam Pentamone. Our living room couch is slightly too big and slightly too soft, but we find ourselves here any time that we're both home. I'm laying down with my head resting in Scott's lap, and his arm is draped over my shoulder. It's October of 2015, and by this point, we've been together for a little over two years. He's reading an article on his phone, and I'm staring at my reflection in our TV's blank screen. My mind is racing. I want to reveal something significant about myself to him, and I have no idea how he's going to react. You'd think that by two years into a relationship, each person would know most of the other's major things. So to understand what took me so long, we'll have to start back in 1998, on the day I brought home my official fourth grade school picture. I found an empty seat near the back of the bus, plopped my book bag next to me, and slid the photos out from inside. The plastic packaging was still wrapped around them, but it was clear enough to see the photo looking back at me. I never cared much about school pictures, but this one was different. I kinda, sorta didn't tell my mom or grandma about picture day that year, and I might have dressed myself for it. Mom and Granny didn't care at all about how I dressed day to day, but picture day was for them. I hijacked it that year and decided to wear an outfit that I loved. My long, unstyled hair sat draped over a blue flannel that was unbuttoned to reveal a gray Arizona Diamondback shirt. I didn't really care about baseball, I just loved how comfortable I felt in it. Normally, my school pictures featured me in some sort of poofy dress or top with something decorative uh, clipped into my hair that would make my scalp itch. But this time, I actually looked like me. As the bus got closer to my stop, I slid the photo back into my bag, careful not to bend it. I was getting nervous. I thought, well, maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll actually think it looks okay. Mom, and especially Grandma, did not think it looked okay. When they saw it, I was met with confusion. Wait a minute, what is this? Why didn't you tell us when it was picture day so we could make you look nice? I don't remember if I told them that I did it on purpose or if I played innocent and said that I didn't know. But I do remember overhearing my Grandma tell my mom, I don't know, Dee. I don't think we can give copies of these out to people this year. Their disappointed reaction kept me quiet about this hard-to-describe feeling that I'd been having, which hinted that the reason I liked this picture so much had, was, more, was about more than just clothes. 
A few years later, during the summer before eighth grade, my best friend Brianna and I sat cross-legged on her front lawn, talking about what we'd do as upperclassmen. She leaned into her words and said, Man, I don't give a fuck about the rules against hair color or piercings. It's all bullshit anyway. I know who I am, so I'm just gonna do it, you know? I've always wanted pink hair, so I'm just gonna have my sister dye it. Maybe it was the intoxicating scent of summer in suburban Chicago, or maybe it was the way Bree said, I know who I am. But something in me felt like this was a good time to reveal a persistent thought that I had been having. Yeah, you'd look awesome with pink hair. I've actually been thinking about cutting mine short, like boy short. <laughs> and I don't know, I kind of maybe want to try to get some boxers. I just feel like they would be so comfortable. It was pretty well known at school that I was a tomboy, so I didn't think this would be weird until I saw Bree scrunching her face. My hands immediately uprooted some blades of grass and tore them into smaller pieces. Brianna waited to speak until I looked back up at her. Dude, if you do that, cut your hair short and get boxers or whatever, you are going to get your ass beat. If not by someone in the locker room, then by me. I just looked away from her and shrugged. Hey man, just saying. Just looking out for you. In high school, Brianna and I grew more distant. She started to blip off my radar a little more each day until she just dropped out. I hung out in the basement because that's where they kept the art classes. I shed my tomboy label for the more genderless art kid. <laughs> art kids were known for experimenting with their looks, and I like to do that, but in the sanctuary of my own bedroom. My digital camera often found its way into my hands and led to lots of self-portrait taking. I tried on my brother's jeans and baggy band shirts, or some of my old dresses that would show off my legs. Or it just got weird with Halloween wigs and face paint. I compiled them all into folder, in, all the photos I took into folders on my computer and I kept them to myself. And these photo shoots offered an escape from the desire that I just had to be okay with how I saw myself, at least for a little while. In college, my secret selfie sessions slowed down. By senior year, I was consistently wearing dresses and purses in public and wanting to just be feminine. I felt more comfortable in my own skin and less judgmental of the things that I was previously insecure about. But during that same time, I experienced a slew of street harassment, and I grew protective of the idea of femininity, and it became more of a rebellion to be female rather than just who I was. So after I graduated, I slid back into a sense of myself that tomboy and art kid once described well. But as someone entering their mid-twenties, I figured that I'd better just start acting secure in my assigned gender, even though most days I wasn't. I didn't know how to describe that in-betweenness that lingered in me, so I eventually stopped trying. And a few years later, I would finally meet Scott on, believe it or not, plentyoffish.com. <laughs> right away, we just clicked, so to speak. I felt a security with him that I'd never experienced with anyone before. 
And for the first couple of years, I didn't desire to define that in-betweenness. I mean, if I could manage to keep this strong two-year relationship going without that language, then maybe I didn't need to worry about it anymore. Right? One afternoon, I was digging through old photos, and I found a picture that shook everything loose. No, not my fourth grade school picture, or even any from high school. It was a different photo, taken when I was in seventh grade and in the thick of my tomboy days. In it, cousins, aunts, uncles, parents, and grandparents all gathered together with great big smiles in Uncle Frank's driveway. I was near the bottom right. My long, dark hair was pulled back in a ponytail hanging behind my chubby face. I smirked while in a semi-take-a-knee position that a football player might get into. My clothing was baggy and my shoes were these run-down looking vans. I sat on our living room floor alone, studying the photo in my hand, and something began to stir in my chest. The room was bright and quiet, save for the creaking of the ceiling fan spinning lazily above me. Seeing my more boyish side made me long to embrace that masculinity again, and the stir in my chest began to pick up and become a whirlwind. I thought, I miss that but I never actually felt like a man. I don't feel like a man or... Before I finished my thought, I was already on Google. I searched, I don't feel like a man or a woman, and I saw the term non-binary gender. The definition read, non-binary gender. See also, genderqueer. Describes any gender identity which does not fit the male or female binary. It was so simple, but it could have passed as another portrait of me taken at any point in my life. I spent the next couple months learning all about gender identities and nourishing this new understanding that I had about myself, but I did it all alone. A big fear still lingered. I would eventually have to come out to Scott. So here we are sitting together in silence, and I'm about to tell him I'm not a woman. The only thing running through my mind in this moment are all the reactions from grandma and mom, Brianna, and all the other friends and family that I've attempted to bring into this before I knew what words to use. Will having the right words even make a difference? Okay, just take a deep breath and... Hey, so... I've got something on my mind. He puts his phone down and says, Oh yeah? What's up? I... I don't think I'm a woman. I instinctively push my head into his chest and close my eyes and hope for the best. There's silence. Oh? He asks gently. So, does that mean you're trans? I peek up at him and I say, I still need to figure some things out, but I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm non-binary. There's a gender spectrum, right? With female on one end and male on the other. I feel like I'm in the middle, maybe closer to male, but not really standing on either side. I just want you to know that I've been exploring these things a lot lately, and I need you to know this. He hugs me hard. He tells me, I will support you no matter how you identify. I love you for you. 
I relax, overcome with relief. And not just relief for that moment, but relief for future moments and past moments. It's a relief that I can come back to whenever I need it. I love you too, I say. And he grabs my hand and gives it a little squeeze. He asks how long I've been exploring these things, and I tell him, oh, a while now. There's some documentation of it, as a matter of fact. There is? Like what? He asks. Well, I can show you. How would you like to look through some old pictures with me? This story was curated by Reshmi Hazar Rustabaki and Carla Rivera, directed by Liz Rice, with sound design by Nick Kawahara. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Streehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.